0: So R.A. Tori, in 1903 is going to start this massive worldwide tour in obedience to God and everywhere he's going to go, he's going to find that revival breaks out and that people are coming to Christ in large numbers. Here's R.A. Tori with his family in England where this tour is going to kind of culminate with a... Massive series of gatherings in Royal Albert Hall, and he's going to be able to present the gospel to high-born and low-born and everybody in between. And there's going to be um, like seventy thousand people uh, dedicate their lives to Christ. He's gonna he's gonna preach in Wales. The result is going to be the Welsh revival. And he's, he's one way of doing it. He's he's a, a distinguished theologian teacher, highly respected the world over. And he's going to do it in evangelistic crusades. And that's one way that God uses people. But what I'm about to, to describe for you is not that. And so God uses many different Kinds of people and a lot of different ways, and you can't reduce it to a pattern that is God's pattern. There just isn't any pattern like that. And so the Welsh, when they're in the midst of this revival that is going as a result of R.A. Tory visiting Wales, and um, the leader of that revival is going to be Evan Roberts, and then this man. Frank Bartleman is going to enter into a correspondence with Evan Roberts. Frank is going to be an intercessor. He's going to be wanting to see in Los Angeles area the same thing that he's hearing is going on in Wales. And so he's in deep prayer, a birthing kind of prayer. Many others are... Are entering into this kind of prayer, and uh, in fact, Frank Bartleman is going to a home prayer meeting at this place on Bonnie Bray Street, which is uh, a, a place very, very different from Royal Albert Hall. And this is the group of people that are meeting there. You'll notice right away that they are a mixed race group. And the leader is a a son of a ex-slave named William Seymour. And uh, they are going to, right around April of 1905, move their group to this place at 312 Azusa Street which is nothing but a warehouse. In fact, they're going to have to clean out piles and piles of animal manure because the place has been used as a stable. Okay, just contrast in your mind Royal Albert Hall with R.A. Tory over here and William Seymour cleaning out manure in this uh um, warehouse on Azusa Street in the backwaters of the Los Angeles area. They're going to, uh, the place is loaded with orange crates, so they're going to put like uh, uh, planks on top of orange crates, and that's going to be their pews. Uh, this is going to be where God chooses to manifest his glory in the United States in 1905, more than any other place. This is the this going to be the outpouring of the fire of God in the United States in that particular part of our history, the Azusa Street Revival. And uh, let me describe for you uh, Seymour, William Seymour's style. When Seymour came down to the meetings, he would sit down and put a box on his head. At first, it startled Sister Carney. Sometimes he would sit with the box over his head for ten minutes, and sometimes it would be an hour or more. Although the practice seemed ridiculous, Sister Carney realized that he was obeying God, no matter how silly or ridiculous it appeared. That apparent of humble obedience led to mighty power when he removed the box. This box and the act of humility were critical to the power God displayed through Brother Seymour. So things began to happen, and it was somehow connected with the box over William Seymour's head. Let me point out to you that God is honoring, it seems to me, a hundred years or more of kettle prayer. This is the kind of prayer that William Seymour's ancestors have been doing. And so now William Seymour is taking to that style, and God is honoring that style. And as William Seymour obeys in humility... um. God is going to pour out his power in this place. Um, let me read to you Frank Bartleman's description of what happened as God did this. Um, he really gets to the heart of it, and I really want to, to uh, recommend uh, Frank Bartleman, Azusa Street. Uh, Brother Seymour generally sat behind two empty boxes, one on top of the other. He usually kept his head inside the top one during the meeting in prayer. There was no pride there. The services ran almost continuously. Seeking souls could be found under the power almost any hour of the day or night. The place was never closed or empty. The people came to meet God. He was always there. Hence, a continuous meeting. The meeting did not depend on the human leader. God's presence became more and more wonderful. In that old building with its low rafters and bare floors, God broke strong men and women to pieces and put them together again for his glory. It was a tremendous overhauling process. Pride and self-assertion, self-importance, and self-esteem could not survive there. The religious ego preached its own funeral sermon quickly. All obeyed God in meekness and humility. In honor we preferred one another. The Lord was liable to burst through anyone. We prayed for this continually. Someone would finally get up, anointed for the message. All seemed to recognize this and gave way. It might be a child, a woman, or a man. It might be from the back seat or from the front. It made no difference. We rejoiced that God was working. No one wished to show himself. We thought only of obeying God. In fact, there was an atmosphere of God there that forbade anyone but a fool from attempting to put himself forward without the real anointing, and such did not last long. The meetings were controlled by the Spirit from the throne. Those were truly wonderful days. I often said that I would rather live six months at that time than 50 years of ordinary life. Just one more... uh, Paragraph here. Demons are being cast out, the sick healed, many blessedly saved, restored, and baptized with the Holy Spirit and power. Heroes are being developed, the weak made strong in the Lord. Men's hearts are being searched as with a lighted candle. It is a tremendous sifting time, not only of actions, but of inner secret motives. Nothing can escape the all-searching eye of God. Jesus is being lifted up, his blood magnified, and the Holy Spirit honored once more. There is much slaying power manifest, and this is the chief cause of resistance on the part of those who refuse to obey. It is real business. God is with us in great earnestness. We dare not trifle. Strong men lie for hours under the mighty power of God, cut down like grass. The revival will be a worldwide one. As indeed it was. There were two things that seemed unique to this particular revival that I haven't found anywhere else in my study of uh, the great outpourings of God, and um, I'm I'm looking here at the uh, the testimonies of eyewitnesses. Okay, my my heart is to get to what really happened. The eyewitness. Uh, accounts. And these are uh, accounts of the children and the teenagers who were part of the Azusa revival. And one of them was Brother Anderson. Anderson told me that the Shekinah glory was hard to explain because it could only be described but not understood. Okay, so a fog would come in, but it was a supernatural cloud, like the cloud in the temple um, that you can read about in Second Chronicles. At times he would come into the building and there would be a kind of glow. There, would, there were times that God would start moving and working and a smoke-like substance would begin to glow even brighter. People could walk through it and sometimes it would sort of roll. You, you couldn't take a fan and blow it out, nor was it something you could pick up. Brother Anderson confessed that he tried because it looked so tangible. He remembered that at times the mist would get so thick that it would fill the whole building. Anderson also noted that at times even Seymour was fascinated with the heavy mist that filled the room. Brother Anderson was awed by the glory and described it as a part of heaven coming down. You could walk in it, sit down in it, run your hands through it, and breathe it into your lungs, but you could not capture it. The Shekinah glory, which... William Seymour said uh, God would pour out again in a hundred years. He he prophesied that, and, uh, of course, we're overdue for this at the present time. And the other part of this was the fire. There was fire that came down from heaven and went up from the building, and the two would meet together, Um, the fire department had been called on several t- on several different occasions as passers-by would report seeing flames leaping up from the roof of the building. Sister Carney asked John Lake why the fire department kept coming and looking for fire. He explained that the fire was coming down from heaven into the building and fire was going up from the building and meeting the fire coming down. Fascinated, Sister Carney went out, walked about a half a block, and saw the awesome sight for herself to her this divine connection of fire coming down from heaven and going up to heaven was just further evidence of God's mighty presence in that place i don't i don't find anything like this anywhere else and yet it was so real that the fire department would come out but it wasn't it wasn't a fire consuming anything okay so it's like the fire that was in the 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 burning bush of Moses. That's the kind of fire we're talking about here. Well, William Seymour said that he believed that there were two, two basic things that God did in the Azusa Street revival that were a preparation for the church to get the church ready for the end of the age. One of these was the, the baptism with the Holy Spirit as an equipping of power for witness and service. Um, Charles Finney was the first to really isolate this particular promise and and begin to say to, to Christians, yeah, we, need, we need this promise. Then D.L. Moody picked that up and he preached it, and then uh, R.A. Torrey after him. And now here we have, again, God pouring out this, this baptism of power and saying, look, I'm trying to bring this back into the church. It's been gone from the church all these centuries. It's part of the pattern. You need it. And, of course, during the charismatic renewal, uh, this began to to go back into the mainline churches and denominations. And I believe God wants this for all of his people. It's his equipping. Um, In the the Azusa revival, some of the uh, young children and teenagers... Would would lay their hands on the most desperately uh, sick um, people, and they'd see ears grow out, limbs grow out, uh, just organs just be recreated right in the midst of of the the praying. It was just really astonishing to see the power of God through people who had almost no experience, but God was using the least. Uh, in this uh, crowd of people to do the greatest of, of the miracles so that nobody would take pride in it. And then the other thing is that R- R- William Seymour believed that God was breaking down the color barrier, uh, blasting the color barrier. There was light, not just black and white, but it was every culture in Los Angeles were drawn to the mighty presence of God in that building. And all kinds of people, highborn, lowborn, everybody was, was drawn many to, to ridicule, but they'd get there and it would just they would be blasted by the power of God. And so um, it's, a, it's a, a fantastic story that um, if you get a chance to read it for yourself, I, I encourage you to do that, Frank Bartleman. So uh, I believe that God continues to want, the color barrier to be blasted. Um, they weren't able to, to keep this part of, of the picture, the, the vision. Um, so the, the denominations that were born out of the, the great Pentecostal revival at Azusa, uh, I think all of them were uh, either black or white. And um, so they weren't able to, to maintain that part of the vision, but I believe that God is continuing to call his church to break down the color barrier and the culture barriers and to, to learn how to be one in Jesus. Um, let me just say one more thing, that out of that um, uh, Zeusa Street Revival, the uh the doctrine came to be that tongues is the initial evidence of uh the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And uh, uh I believe that as the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, moves out among wider and wider circles of Christians, we have to maintain more of a broad-based biblical understanding of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. I remember even uh, Jack uh, Hayford of the uh, uh, Foursquare denomination was saying that he he sort of wished that um, they hadn't come up with the doctrine that tongues is the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit because then people just want to speak in tongues to prove they've got the Holy Spirit. And that's the whole a different idea that what he, he wanted to convey, and that is that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is equipping for witness and service for all Christians uh, for the rest of their lives. And it's, it's not just a one-time experience that we, that we have that proves that we've got the Spirit now. Um, there are many other proofs of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian And uh, those of us in uh, a a ministry called PRMI, Presbyterian and Reformed Ministries International, are trying to to move through more of a Reformed doctrine and a broad-based scriptural doctrine of the baptism with the Holy Spirit based more on the teachings of D.L. Moody and R.A. Torrey because we believe that that is the kind of thinking that is going to allow the, the the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be accepted by a broader number of Christians in many different denominations. So now we're going to go on and see what happens as this, this great uh, move of the Spirit of God crosses the Pacific Ocean and lands in Korea.